welcome to No Filter. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. I really hope you guys had an excellent weekend. If you did have an excellent weekend, I'm about to ruin it by giving you the news. But that's pretty much all the news media these days. We just dig a little deeper, do a little bit of a deeper dive into the topics. I don't wanna waste too much time with this intro because we have a lot prepared for you. So let's get right to it. As someone who graduated college into the nightmare of the 2008 economic crisis, I always found it fascinating that even after that type of financial ruin, people still support politicians who turn a blind eye toward Wall Street and the same big banks that defrauded Americans and destroyed their lives just to make a buck. For his populist rhetoric during his campaign, Trump happens to be one of those politicians. A new investigative report by the New York Times explains how the current administration is sparing corporations found guilty of wrongdoing billions of dollars in penalties. This is extremely bad news for America's middle class. And to prove it, we need to go back 10 years for a short history lesson that many have seen to forgotten. In the run up to the 2008 economic meltdown, the so called too big to fail banks were slanging subprime mortgages to people who they knew would likely default on their loans. The banks then bundled these loans into mortgage backed securities that were traded by investors on the stock market. Many Americans had their retirement money tied up in these assets because they were led to believe they were solid investments. But when enough people defaulted on their mortgages, something bankers knew would happen. Hardworking Americans who had diligently saved and in some cases unwittingly invested their retirement money in these toxic assets lost 30 to 50% of their life savings. The pain was overwhelming. Alan Weir, who turned 60 this month, showed us his latest 401k statement, which he hadn't had the courage to open up. I'm afraid. You're gonna open it now? You want me to? Let's do it. There's good reason for his trepidation. Nearly half of his life savings have vanished in a matter of months. It went down again. How much are you down overall? Uh, about $140,000. Do you think you'll ever get it back? I, mean, I would probably never see it come back. I was looking to retire probably when I hit 62. I can't do it now. I'll probably be working until I'm at least 70. It really was a devastating time. Household net worth declined by $13 trillion between 2007 and 2012. And more than 6% of Americans lost their jobs. But don't worry, not everyone lost money. Since these big banks knew mortgage-linked securities were ticking time bombs set to explode as soon as people began defaulting on their mortgages, they bet against the housing market, which allowed them to make a lot of money. Sure. They were defrauding everyone else by telling them these assets were solid and then betting against them. But as libertarians will tell you, that's the free market, baby. Somehow in their minds, less regulation would have made scenarios like this better. Yeah, clowns. Anyway, one of the multinational banks that participated in this disgusting and predatory behavior was Barclays. Obama's Justice Department pursued legal charges and penalties in response to the bank's fraudulent behavior and specifically targeted two former executives who managed Barclays capital units. John T. Carroll was one of them. He was accused of intentionally making false representations to investors, which was clear in his email communications. According to Reuters, when asked 
about 40 mortgages already delinquent before a deal closed, Carroll told another executive to quote, just leave them in. Luckily, Obama did go after Barclays, although a case could be made that his administration wasn't aggressive enough in making these big banks pay for the pain and suffering they caused. Unsurprisingly, the multinational bank fought back. According to the New York Times, Barclays had rejected the Justice Department's demand to pay almost $7 billion. The Obama administration had in turn filed a lawsuit against the company using the Financial Institutions Reform, Recovery and Enforcement Act, a law that Republicans in Congress had of course tried to curtail. Then we experienced regime change in America, which included a much softer approach toward corporations and the financial industry. Trump's DOJ settled with Barclays with penalties far less than half of what the Obama administration wanted. In March, Barclays settled for a much reduced penalty of $2 billion. Unfortunately, this is an ongoing trend in the Trump era. The investigation by the New York Times, which compared Obama's penalties toward the big banks with Trump's, found that there's been, quote, a lighter touch toward the banking industry with Trump's SEC. Obama's SEC ordered banks to pay nearly four times as much as in the Trump era. But there's more. The same investigation found a 72% decline in corporate penalties from the Justice Department's criminal prosecutions to 3.93 billion during Trump's administration from 14.15 billion and a similar drop in civil penalties against financial institutions. If you watched my no filter special on Mick Mulvaney and how he dismantled the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, this shouldn't really come as a surprise to you. The Times reports that the top political appointees under Trump have led a philosophical shift in governing that favors big business and prioritizes the interests of individual investors. Trump's go-to move is to hire the same corporate execs who engaged in criminal behavior to basically oversee the rest of the sharks on Wall Street. I'll give you an example. Trump's pick to lead the office of the controller of the currency, a federal banking regulator, is a former executive whose bank once faced an enforcement action. So who's the former bank exec? A name, a guy named Joseph Odding, who ran One West Bank alongside Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. One West was guilty of using illegal tactics like robo-signing in the wake of the financial crisis. The bank has also been accused of illegal foreclosures. According to the Wall Street Journal, Auding is pushing to rewrite expensive requirements for banks to have anti-money laundering and community development programs. He is encouraging them to expand businesses that had been constrained by regulators, including giving loans to companies deep in debt and small dollar loans. Great, Trump told us what type of president he'd be. We gotta be fair to him. He was very clear about the fact that he wanted to protect big businesses at our expense. We think we can cut regulations by 75%, maybe more. Why would anyone expect a man who inherited $413 million from his daddy to protect the middle and working classes? And the very people in the middle of the country who voted for him are those who will suffer the most in the next economic collapse. They also happen to be Trump's most unwavering supporters. The ironic thing is that economic frustration has been the leading catalyst for divide among Americans. 
Those were the very frustrations that convinced people that they needed to vote for someone like Trump, someone who's not a career politician who can shake things up. But a closer look will reveal that he's the standard political thief who redistributes money from the middle class to the wealthy. At the same time, he'll apply the old tactic of distracting us with the others as the scapegoat for all our problems. It's not the immigrants or the Muslims or any other powerless group of people who run roughshod over our lives. It's the Wall Street execs, it's the big banks, and it's people like Trump. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Filter. It appears that Trump is unraveling. And it's fascinating to watch his crybaby sensitivities in real time, especially as his supporters still accuse the left of being so-called snowflakes. But as funny as it might be to watch a grown man have one childlike temper tantrum after the other, things get complicated when the president has a dictatorial mind frame. Right after the midterm elections, where Democrats easily took over the House and flipped a bunch of gubernatorial races from red to blue, Trump put his hissy fit tendencies on full display at a press conference. This is where he sparred with CNN's Jim Acosta after the White House reporter asked him a simple question about why he referred to the migrant caravan as an invasion when we've known about it for months. Kind of hard to invade the country when the entire country knows about you coming for months. Honestly, I think you should let me run the country, you run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much better. If I, if I may okay, ask one enough. other question, Mr. President, if I may, if I may ask Peter, one other question, are you worried? That's enough. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, well, that's I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. Excuse President, me. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if go. I may ask, on, on the Russia investigation, are you concerned that that you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the may have Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you That's enough. Put down the mic. Mr. President, are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation? Mr. President, I'll tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts. Well, I'm not a big fan of, of yours either. So I you understand. Know, to be honest. So let, me, so let me ask you a question if I can. How absurd is it to have Trump accuse other people of being rude, terrible people? Well, later Trump, a man who made racism the centerpiece of his presidential campaign, accused a black journalist of being racist after she asked about what he meant when he referred to himself as a proud nationalist. On the campaign trail, you called yourself a nationalist. Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying that the president- I don't know why you'd that say that. such a racist there question. There are some people that say that no. now the Republican Party is seen as supporting white nationalists oh, because of your rhetoric. What do you that. make of that? I don't believe it. I just, well, I don't know. Why do I have my highest poll numbers ever with African Americans? Why do I have among the highest poll numbers with African Americans? I mean, why do I have my highest poll numbers? That's such a racist question. Honestly, I mean, I know you have it written down and you're gonna tell me. Let me tell you, that's a racist question. If Trump believes that 3% is a high number among black voters, then he has a high number, but it's around 3%. 
Finally, he dismissed journalist April Ryan during the same press conference and called her names later. The same thing with April Ryan. I watch her get up. I mean, you talk about somebody that's a loser. She doesn't know what the hell she's doing. She gets publicity and then she gets a pay raise or she gets a contract with, I think, CNN. But she's very uh, nasty. All right, there are two main things I want to address here. The first is just a fun observation about how insanely sensitive and baby-like the president is. He's the most powerful person on the planet, and he spends most of his time crying about how, how unfair everything is and everyone is to him. He was whining about the media even before he was elected, tweeting in August of 2016, it is being reported by virtually everyone and is a fact that the media pile on against me is the worst in American political history. Then he got elected and the crying continued. I mean, it just doesn't stop. Well, I think the press makes me more uncivil than I am. You know, people don't understand. I went to an Ivy League college. Uh, I was a nice student. I did very well. Uh, I'm a very intelligent person. Look at the way I've been treated lately, especially by the media. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. Whatever happened to honest reporting? They don't report it. They only make up stories, but they can make anything bad because they are the fake, fake, disgusting news. Oh, he's such a sad little baby. And the fact that he keeps mentioning his Ivy League education shows you that he knows how stupid he is. Smart people don't talk about how smart they are. Brett Ehrlich went to an Ivy League, doesn't talk about how he went to an Ivy League because he's actually a smart guy. He's the uh, supervising producer for this show, in case you don't know that. Anyway, the second point I want to highlight uh, actually isn't very funny. When Trump whines about the media, he also simultaneously puts journalism in jeopardy and attempts to weaken First Amendment protections toward a free press. Remember the heated exchange between him and Jim Acosta? Well, that led to Acosta losing his press credentials, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. After the press conference drama unfolded, Acosta announced on Twitter that, quote, I've just been denied entrance to the White House. Secret Service just informed me I cannot enter the White House grounds for my 8 p.m. hit. The US Secret Service just asked for my credential to enter the White House as I told the officer, I don't blame him, I know he's just doing his job. Sarah Huckabee Sanders tried to justify revoking Acosta's press credentials by sharing a doctored, doctored video from Infowars that made it seem as though he put his hands on the press aide who tried to take his mic away. The undoctored video makes it clear that Acosta never put his hands on anyone. Trump supporting conservatives are so far up their own asses that they don't see how disastrous this is for a country that's supposed to have a constitutional protection for speech and the press. This sets a dangerous precedent by consolidating power in the executive branch of government. Journalism is known as the fourth estate because it's supposed to play a critical role in our political system of checks and balances. Real journalism holds people in positions of power, both Republicans and Democrats, accountable. It informs the public so people can vote in their best interests. Trump also goes 
out of his way to direct violence toward journalists who refuse to give him nonstop pats on the back like Fox News does. Then he and his administration have the audacity to argue that someone like Acosta was being violent. As we all know, Trump has called the media the enemy of the people repeatedly, even after a man gunned down journalists earlier this year. Just recently, Caesar Sayok, an outspoken Trump supporter, sent multiple bombs to CNN. Earlier this year in August, a Trump supporter named Robert Chain was arrested for threatening to kill reporters at the Boston Globe over their Trump coverage. This is not the type of climate fostered by a president who believes in our constitution or democracy. These are the actions of a dictator, plain and simple. The real question is whether we're going to allow democracy to decompose under a rotten president. Do we sit by and continue pretending like things won't get worse? Because I can guarantee you they will. We'll be right back with some of my favorite things. Welcome back to No Filter. If you love this show, please, 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 please leave me a five star rating on whichever platform you are listening to the podcast version of this show on. And if you do like this program and you want more content like this, you can catch all the different things I do on the TYT network. Just go to tyt.com slash Anna, that's with one N, A-N-A, and you can sign up to be a member. Not only would you be supporting independent media, but you would also be supporting me specifically and I would really appreciate it. Now let's get to my favorite things. California is on fire and not in a good way, I mean literally. The president is back home after alienating our allies in Europe and his acting attorney general has said it's cool to end the Mueller probe. There's a lot to not be so happy about. There's not a lot to celebrate right now, but I did manage to scrape together a few of my favorite things. We've had six days to process the midterms, and while there are still some races that have yet to be officially called, it's become pretty clear, we had a blue wave. It's not a blue, that's right, why do I always forget that I request those horns? Let's play them, let's play them again. All right, was it a blue NAMI? Are we swimming in single payer healthcare? Obviously not, but a lot of good things happened on Tuesday. The Democrats picked up six governorships and took control of the House. You can't deny those results look good for the left unless, you know, you're the president, who tweeted, yesterday was such a very big win and all under the pressure of a nasty and hostile media. To any of the pundits or talking heads that do not give us proper credit for this great midterm election, just remember two words, fake news. Yeah, what great midterm election, you lost control of the house. Last Monday, the Republicans had more representatives than the Democrats. And as a result of what happened on Tuesday, they will have fewer representatives, meaning you lost. That's how it works. Though to be fair, maybe he just played golf and thinks that the lower score wins, I don't know. My favorite thing about his deluded non-victory speech is that he called out Republican candidates who distanced themselves from him during their campaigns. So on the other hand, you had some that decided to, let's stay away, let's stay away. They did very poorly. I'm not sure that I should be happy or sad. 
but I feel just fine about it. Carlos Cubella, Mike Kaufman, too bad, Mike. Mia Love, uh, but Mia Love gave me no love, and she lost. Gross. Do you want to play that game, Donald? Because we can play. Here are the candidates who did embrace you to the point where you actively endorse them and they still lost. Diane Harkey here in California, Karen Handel in Georgia, Randy Holtgren of Illinois, Rod Blum, Kevin Yoder, John James, Lena Epstein, Karen Housley, Dean Heller. Dean Heller was with you come hell or high water and he lost. Danny Tarkanian, which sounds like an Armenian name and makes me extremely depressed. But nonetheless, all these people that supported you and you supported them, they lost because you're the loser, Trump. You're the loser. Special thanks to all the hardworking people who made this show possible. Jesus Godoy, Skip Balaco, Bart Kyle, Craig Lowry, Edwin Umania, Sophie Sai, Dan Evans, Brett Ehrlich, Mary Ignatova. Rate us. Because when you rate us, you rate all of us. And we worked really hard to put this show together for you guys. We love you, and we'll see you next week with another episode of No Filter.